Good morning. Welcome to Regen. We're in Luke chapter 8, going through the first 15 verses. Let me pray. Lord, thank you for your word. We cherish it. We love it. We ask for your spirit to speak to us through it. In Jesus' name, amen. So there was a lot of great expectation for Jesus and his arrival wherever he went. So wherever Jesus goes, he's, he's getting this, this buzz that, oh, Jesus is either coming or he was here. Or, so everyone kind of knows. And people would have heard about what Jesus had done. And they would have all this anticipation of what Jesus was going to do. So as they're there waiting for his arrival in their own city or in their own village, there's just a lot of excitement building up about this Jesus. This Jesus whose proclamation of the kingdom of God was, was so great, and so were his works. So it wasn't just his words that were great, but it was also his works that were great. And whatever Jesus did, though, ultimately what he did, what he said, ultimately pointed to the kingdom of God. Now keep in mind that people were anxiously waiting for the Messiah at this time. They were waiting for the Messiah and someone who could deliver them from this oppressive state that they were experiencing under this Roman oppression. Someone who could take them away from this tyrannical government that was over them and that they were living under. And year after year, people would be wondering, is this the year? Will this be the year that we're going to get delivered or do we have to endure this another year? And back then, you know, there's a lot of false messiahs as there are now. But back then there were all these false messiahs and sometimes they weren't even false messiahs. They were just people that were mistaking someone to be a messiah like John the Baptist who never said that he was. But some people wondered, is, is, is he the one? Is John the Baptist the one? He's doing all this stuff. He's doing all this cool stuff. And here we have Jesus. He's healing the sick. He's raising the dead. He's casting out demons. Pretty good match for what the prophets were prophesying about in the Old Testament to, to this guy. Sort of. <coughs> Because some people had these other thoughts about what the Messiah should be like. Like John the Baptist. Because he was in jail, he was locked up in jail, as we were talking about last week. And he's wondering, are you the one or are we supposed to be waiting for somebody else? Because he had these different expectations and people had these different expectations of what a Messiah should be, what a Messiah should do. But this is Jesus and this is how a Messiah should be and this is what a Messiah should do. Verses 1 through 3. Let's read that. Soon afterward, we went on, uh, on through cities and villages, proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God, and the twelve were with him. And also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities, Mary, called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out, and Joanna, the wife of Cusa, Herod's household manager, and Susanna, and many others, who provided for them out of their means. Obviously, Jesus wasn't traveling alone. His disciples were with him. There were the twelve and a group of women. Many others who accompanied Jesus. And there are these three women who are specifically named and pointed out in Luke. Mary Magdalene, Joanna, and Susanna. Women who were instrumental in Jesus' ministry. They provided for him in spiritual ways and no doubt that they prayed for him. They provided physically. They provided financially. They provided out of their own means. And so for anyone who would think that Christianity or Jesus is anti-woman, you're wrong. You have to put yourself in the mindset of when this is written. This is written at a time when women were looked as property. And here we have this ancient text mentioning these women by name. Followers of Jesus, which in actuality would have lent no credibility to this gospel. They would have been like, what? Women? 
Because in court, a woman's testimony was not allowed. And here you have this gospel account, this eyewitness account, where this guy is actually writing the name of women in here. What are they do? What is Luke doing? Are you trying to build a case, or are you trying to topple the case? So, so here we we see that Luke, we see that Jesus, we see that God highly values women. Do you know how smart and wise women are? Do you? I mean, let me tell you biblically. Look throughout all the Gospels. Is there a single woman that turned away from Jesus? Everyone that turned away from Jesus in the Gospels was a man. That's how smart they are. They hear it. I'm there, Jesus. I'm there. It's always a guy. Dummies. Anyway. So, verse 4. And when a great crowd was gathering and people from town after town came to them, to him, he said in a parable, now before I get into this parable, I want you to imagine in your head this scene. Imagine this scene. There was this large mass of people assembling from all over the place, coming over to hear Jesus. I want you to imagine a Raider game where, where people from all over town, they're gathering at the Colosseum, right? And actually, it's not too far from the truth because Jesus attracted people like Raider fans, you know, it's just crazy people, painted faces, spikes on their clothing, and like to stick out their tongues all the time, all this kind of stuff. And I'm pretty convinced that if Jesus was ministering here, that Lake Merritt would be the equivalent of, you know, Sea of Galilee. So, it's like that. So, anyway, large crowd gathering together right here, and people from all over. Now, instead of the Raider game at the Coliseum, imagine Livermore. Because, because that's kind of what it was. It wasn't in an urban setting. This is out, out in a rural setting. And yet there's this big crowd coming out to, to a place like Livermore. And so people traveled these great distances to come and hear Jesus and to see Jesus. And it wasn't like Bart was dropping them off at Colosseum, right? I mean, they had to walk there. So people from town after town went to see Jesus. Now, who were these people? Again, imagine the diversity within this crowd, right? Imagine the masses, imagine the diversity, elderly people, young people, rich, poor, families with children, families with no children, and parents that wanted to have children, the sick, the lame, people who couldn't travel on their own, so there were these healthy people helping them get there, many hoping that Jesus would touch them in some way or say something to them. Some people were just kind of curious, just kind of following the masses, others because they had nothing better to do. Like, yeah, let's, yeah, let's go. Let's go check it out. It's probably similar to our church. Really diverse. People coming from town after town with a wide range of expectations. All sorts of expectations. And you recall that one of Jesus' disciples was a zealot by the name of Simon. And a zealot was, was someone who wanted to overturn the Roman government, even if it meant by assassination. They were willing to kill to make something happen to overturn this Roman government. And if Jesus wanted to overturn this oppressive Roman government by, by using force, by using man, he could have easily recruited the zealots to help him. Easily. And he already had one in his inner twelve. His influence was growing. He could have gathered more to fight against this Ro- Roman regime. He could have united all the crowds that were coming to him to join in this type of revolution, convincing them him that I am the Messiah. We're going to overturn these guys. Everywhere he went, there was these huge crowds. But that wasn't God's plan. 
Instead, Jesus tells them a story. So here they are. He's like, hey, hey, Frank, this is the guy. That's the man. Look at this. Look at this this rally that this guy is able to do. Look at the the wonderful things that he's done. He's going to be the one that takes us out of this terrible Roman oppression. He even has a zealot in his inner 12. We're, We're going to get those guys. We're going to live the way that we're supposed to. I can't wait to fight. What? Story time? I'm ready to fight. Story time? Verse 4, And when a great crowd was gathering and people from town after town came to him, he said in a parable. A parable. This rallying moment, and he just wants to tell a story. Now what's a parable? For those of you who don't know, a parable, just simply put, just commonly put, and an easy way for, for, for you to remember is that a parable is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. That's just a simple way to remember what a parable is. Now, some parables are metaphors. Some parables are similes. In Luke chapter 13, Jesus asked, what is the kingdom of God like? Simile, right? And then he goes on today to say, it's like a grain of mustard seed. It is like leaven. So similes. And that's one broad stroke of a type of parable. Another broad stroke of a type of a parable is an allegory, which is what we have in front of us here this morning. But something intrinsic to allegories is that you, we want to interpret what things in allegories mean. And this is what we have to be careful about as Christians, as readers of the Bible. So in our parable, we are led to say, you know, the sower is equivalent to this. The seed is equivalent to this. The uh, soil is equivalent to this. And when we start defining all those things and what we think that they mean when we do allegory, we have to be careful. This one's not as hard because this one Jesus explains to us later. But not all parables are explained to us in the Bible. So we have to be careful when we are interpreting allegory because sometimes it is misinterpreted. And people feel this freedom to kind of interpret as they see fit. Oh, this means this and this means that. But what does God mean by it? Not what you want to mean by it. What does it mean biblically? What, what did Jesus mean by teaching this? What did he want us to gain from this? And is this biblical? Can we compare to other biblical texts to show that this is backed up by the Bible itself? Or is this some one-off idea that I'm planting into this allegory, this parable? So we have to be careful. And it's not just important for allegories in the Bible. It's important for everything we put in our minds, right? The books that we read, the sermons we listen to, the the Bible studies that we're a part of, all this stuff. Are those things biblical? So we have to be prayerful. We have to be careful as we interpret and we use the Bible to test itself. We use the Bible to see if things are biblical. So with that in mind, let's, let's read this parable. A sower went out to sow his seed, and as he sowed, some fell along the path and was trampled underfoot. And the birds of the air devoured it. And some fell on the rock, and as it grew up, it withered away because it had no moisture. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up with it and choked it. And some fell into good soil and grew and yielded a hundredfold. As he said these things, he called out, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. So here we have the story Jesus told the crowd. And it's a story that's really familiar to this audience because this audience, it's not like they had supermarkets. It was an agrarian society. They're familiar with planting their own stuff. 
So the sower went out to sow his seed, and as he does this, the seed falls on different places. Some fall along a path where, where the wheel of the cart traveled, where it was trampled underfoot, and the birds that, that saw that seed, it was just there, never had a chance to grow. The birds came and they just ate it. Some fell amongst rocks, and, and there was no moisture there that would be long-lasting, so the roots couldn't grow into it. Right? There was this thin layer of soil, and it would get beat by the sun, and all the moisture would be sucked out of there, and so these sprouting plants, they didn't have a chance. And some fell among thorns, but the thorns would overtake these newly sprouting plants. And then some would fall into good soil, and, and they grow really well. So, uh, really, a, a pretty clear-cut story. It's not anything complicated whatsoever. Now, look at what Jesus did before and after the parable. But I think this is, this is interesting to me. Particularly, pay attention to the verbs. Verse 4, he said in a parable... Verse 8, he called out. I'm imagining that, you know, these crowds were really excited to see what Jesus was going to do. So he was able to say, and as soon as they were, he was going to, as soon as he broke into this story, these guys were leaving. So then he had to call out. Because there's a big difference between saying and calling out, isn't there? And in verse 4, it seems that Jesus' tone was saying something, you know, I have, I have your attention. I want to tell you a story. It was circle time, right? Come on, circle time. And, and, then, and then at the end of the story, it wasn't like in the beginning, right? Gather around for circle time. At the end, it was calling out. Like, if you have an ear to hear, like, what are you guys doing? It's just a different tone. A calling out, of, you know, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Come on, guys. And it's interesting how Jesus phrased that. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And this is before Peter, you know, he learned his ninja skills of being a samurai and he cut off Malchus' ear. I don't know, you know. Remember when Peter cut off Malchus' high priest's ear? If you don't read the Gospel of John, and you'll understand bad Christian comedy. But anyway, um, it says... He who has ears to hear, let him hear. It doesn't say, he who has ears, let him hear. All right, so you go back a couple cha- chapters to chapter 6, verses 47 through 49, where we find a parable in simile form, starting in verse 47. Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I will show you what he is like. Hears. How important is hearing in that two chapters before Jesus mentions this and then two chapters later Jesus is addressing hearing once again. To hear, it's important because hearing is imperative to having a relationship with Jesus Christ. Right? But not all who, who hear have their life transformed by God. But you have to hear in order for your life to be transformed from God. From God. Not everyone who hears the gospel receives it. There are some who hear the gospel and they do receive it, but there are some who don't and they've heard the gospel. Not everyone who has been evangelized to has salvation. Some are. Now those whose faith perseveres to the very end, they are saved. Right? There, there are some who have made this profession of faith at some point in their life, but they aren't saved. And I'm not the judge of that. But but there are some folks who on the day of judgment, they made a profession of faith sometime in their life, but they're not saved. Look at the parable. 
right? How the gospel is heard is really important. It's important that the gospels don't just become this white noise for you. Just this background routine noise for you that, that the reason you are here and being part of this Christian stuff. You know, this be, whatever this stuff is between you and God and not to appease a spouse or to appease a parent or to appease a friend or to appease someone that you're interested in. Because I know some of you guys are out there too. I really like that girl. She's a strong Christian. I have to go to church if I have any chance. I've met you. We've talked. You're here. Now, don't mistake the Holy Spirit for that white noise, that background noise, while He's tapping you on your heart. Hey, man. Come on. Don't look at the girl. Look at me. Hey, hey, hey. Right? Are you listening? Do you hear? And the parable distinguishes between those who, who really hear And those who are just casually taking in the noise, just kind of being there, riding on the plane and just hearing the hum of the plane, we're just here for the ride. Here for the ride, just this nice little noise here. That's Jesus' voice over there. It's pretty soothing, but it's nice. I'm just waiting to eat, though. Because he fed 5,000 people. I'm ready to eat. That's why I'm here. Jesus said, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Right? This is the soap. Distinguishing between those who are casually there and those who are sincerely, honestly there to hear. Now, the sower doesn't know where the seed lands, right? Nor is it his responsibility. The sower sows. The sower's responsibility is to get the seed out there, get it all over the place, spread it out. Just that's his responsibility. Verse nine, we find that the disciples asking what the parable means. And when his disciples asked him what this parable meant. Disciples aren't the brightest bunch. But then again, I don't think we would have caught this either. Right? But Jesus, is he's so gracious. He's so patient. And the disciples saw Jesus do a lot of things. They've been hanging out with Jesus long enough to see. Jesus does some cool things. And and they they were there to experience all this stuff firsthand. and, And no doubt... They love that notoriety, right? That they, that they were getting and being with Jesus. Like, yeah, I'm with him. I'm with that guy. Now, are you one of those the apostles that he picked? One of the twelve? Yeah, that's me. He picked me. Out of all those people, me. I'm, I'm here. Throngs of people wherever they went. Like, yeah, check me out. I'm one of the twelve. Right? And, then, and it must have been really exciting. It must have been really fun. And here's this large crowd of people, people everywhere, all over the place. And disciples must have been thinking, this is awesome. I mean, we we can write a book on church growth. Look at this. This is awesome. All these people, I can't wait to see what Jesus is going to do. He wants to tell a story? Look at this crowd. We could could do some healings. We could feed all of them. We could do some really cool stuff like we did before. He, He wants to tell a story. And then after the story, essentially, all the disciples were saying, like, that's it? What, what, I mean, what does that even mean? What, what kind of story was that? It's, it's like so simple and it's so obvious. What's, what's so profound in that story? Sower goes out, throws seeds in different places, and, and we already know what happens when it lands there or there or there or there. And then you say, he who has ears to, 
hear, let him hear. Big deal. What does that even mean? I mean, we have a huge crowd here, Jesus. We have a huge crowd. If you do something awesome, they'd all follow you. They'd everyone would come in. But you're squandering this opportunity, this really obvious story that you're telling. How is that profound? How is that going to help anything? And after the disciples asked Jesus what the parable meant, Jesus said this. He said, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God, but for others they are in parable, so that seeing they may not see, and hearing they may not understand. I find this fascinating. I also find this confusing. And I also find this kind of scary. One would think that by telling stories, stories like a parable, you would be making things easier for people to comprehend, to understand the kingdom of God. But Jesus is saying he is making the kingdom of God more difficult to understand. What? What? To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God, but for others they are in parable, so that seeing they may not see and hearing they may not understand. Jesus was not trying to make it easier to get into the kingdom of God. He was making it more difficult. What? This is, this is counterintuitive. What is going on? Wouldn't God make it easier Now keep in mind there are a ton of people following Jesus. Town after town, they're all over. Everywhere Jesus goes, there's this big crowd. Everyone has their own expectations. Everyone has their own reasons as to why they're following Jesus and why they want to see him and what they want to hear and all this stuff. Jesus knew that many of those expectations, many of those reasons are misguided. Those reasons were impure. Those expectations were misguided. They were the wrong reasons. They were the wrong intentions. So Jesus, being the smartest and the wisest man to ever live on the face of the earth, didn't want to feed into those wrong expectations. Didn't want to feed into those impure reasons. What does he do? Tells a story. The reasons to come to Jesus to hear his words, to hear his words and do them, were not the same for everyone. So Jesus tells the crowd these stories. And these stories are used as a filter Filter out all those people who came for the wrong reasons. Right? All those for the wrong reasons and those who genuinely came to seek Him. And if you came for the wrong reason, you'll be like, story time? I came here to eat. I came here to see Him multiply. I I came here to see Him heal a leper. I came here to see Him take a demon out of somebody. I came here for all these other reasons. I didn't come here to hear a story. And Jesus quotes from Isaiah chapter 6, verses 9 and 10, when he said, Seeing they may not see, and hearing they may not understand. Let me read Isaiah chapter 6, verses 9 and 10 for you. And he said, Go and say to his people, Keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the hear of this people dull, and the ears heavy, and blind their eyes, lest they see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their hearts, and turn and be healed. What was Isaiah saying? Back in Isaiah 6, Isaiah was confronted with something similar to what Jesus was dealing with here. People in Isaiah's time, they were obsessed with their own thoughts, with their own ideas, especially when it came to God, especially when it came to religion. Does that sound familiar to anybody? 
I mean, it's not like anything like that's happening today because we're so progressive. We've, we've evolved so much. We don't think we know the best of God. We don't think we know the best of religion, do we? What did God do? God said, by closing your mind to me, doing your own thing by turning your backs to me and going about your own way by continuing to go about your own way, there are natural consequences to your decisions. And if that's what you want, that's your choice and that's your consequence. And so he let them do as they pleased. And you go into Jeremiah chapter 5, verse 21. Jeremiah says this, Hear this, O foolish and senseless people who have eyes but see not, who have ears but hear not. It's a recurring theme here. Ezekiel chapter 12, verse 2, Son of man, you dwell in the midst of a rebellious house, who have eyes to see but see not, who have ears to hear but hear not, for they are a rebellious house. And it's not just in the Old Testament, it's also in the New Testament. Romans chapter 1. I don't have time to read the whole passage to you, but it's in Romans 1, verses 21 through 32. In summary, people wanted to worship the creation more than they wanted to worship the Creator. And so God gave them to themselves. You can read it yourself. Romans chapter 1, verses 21 through 32. It's not so different from our society today. We want the same thing. God is not powerlessly waiting up there in heaven, desperately wanting people, please acknowledge my son. I sent him and he died for you. Please, please, please don't, just come on, accept him. It's not like that. If you don't, there's natural consequences to it, so your choice. I'm not going to force myself upon you. I'm not going to force my son upon you. Go to your own ways. And part of the reason Jesus taught in parables was, like we said earlier, to distinguish between genuine seekers and those who are just kind of casually hearing, who really didn't have ears to hear. They were just kind of casually hanging out for whatever reason, but they weren't the right reasons. And the difference between those with ears to hear and those who don't hear? The ones with ears to hear will still be with Jesus when the crowds leave. When the crowds leave, those who really hear are still there. And if there are some zealots that were hanging out, hoping to be some part of a political revolution, but Jesus says, hey, gather around, everybody. The, the, the zealot thinks, awesome, showtime. I got my sword. I'm ready. I'm ready to topple the government. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. I have a story. Huh? What? What? A sower went out to sow his seed. What? Sowing seed. There's this government there that is oppressing us, our, our people. They are occupying our land. Sowing seed. What are you talking? What does this have to do with anything with a government overthrow? I'm, I'm gone. I'm out of here. And then there might be someone else there who heard of Jesus' miracles, and that's why they're there. You know, they want to be entertained. Right? Hey, Jesus... Do that miracle. I, I, I was there when you healed that leper. And here's a leper over here, and I want to show my friends. Can you heal him? Guys, check this out. He heals lepers. I have a story. You have a story? A sower 
went out to sow his seed. Jesus, there's a leper here. And you heal lepers. What? What's the story have to do with anything? I, I came here to see something. I didn't come here to listen to your stories. I'm, I'm out of here. I don't want any part of this. And anyone else out there who thought that Jesus was going to do something different than what he set out to do, they would need to change their mind or they would have to leave. So Jesus can't be manipulated. God cannot be manipulated into doing what we want him to do. Right? He, Jesus was going to do what his father wanted him to do. And there were so many people expecting a variety of things from Jesus, but he came to do the Father's will, not somebody else's will. Now, what are our expectations of Jesus? To hit a little closer to home, what are our expectations of Jesus' church? Are we looking for a Savior, or are we looking for Jesus to do something for us, or we want him to do something for our church, or we want our church to do something for us? So Jesus filters out all that junk and he tells a story. And this parable is just an example of that. But by telling this story, he's going to be able to separate those who are genuinely seeking Jesus and knowing who he truly is and, and exploring that curiosity, trying to figure that stuff out. And he's going to separate that from people who have these wrong intentions. That even though they have physical ears, they are not able to hear because it's just a white noise to them. But those who stay and they have ears to hear, they will come and trust and believe in Jesus as their Lord and Savior. Why would Jesus make it more difficult than easier to understand the kingdom of God? Because you cannot know the kingdom of God unless you are engaged into the kingdom of God, with the kingdom of God. You cannot follow at a distance. You cannot be in the kingdom of God casually doesn't work that way. You cannot know Jesus from a distance. May I suggest that this may be people at our church. Some people come here for whatever reasons. Social setting. Music. Social activism. Art. Community. Whatever. Whatever reason why. Anything just not purely Jesus. That there's something else besides just purely Jesus and a relationship with him. And I don't think that we're all that different from people back then. I think there are people here who are following at a distance. They like to see the stuff and they, oh, cool, cool. That church does cool things and cool things happen and all that. Oh, that's great. That's great. I'll, I'll come and I'll help do this and I'll help do that and I want to observe and do. But they're not engaged, not fully engaged to what the Lord has for us here, which ultimately is to preach the kingdom of God to those who don't know it, to throw seed. Ultimately, that's why we're here. Why do we do all those outreaches and things? It's not because I like doing those outreaches. It's to throw the seed. It's an opportunity to throw the seed. It's a different venue to throw seed. Whatever doesn't throw seed, I'm not for. I, I might as well go volunteer for a civic organization, but we're a church. So we throw seed. That's what we do.
And I have something to say to those who don't have a pure motive to God. Gather around. Here's a story. We got to get busy doing stuff. We got to, you know, we got to get out there and social justice or political activism. We got to do all this stuff. Every Sunday, we have a story. A sower went out to sow his seed. Every Sunday at about 9.30, we have a story. Every Sunday at 6.30, we have a story. Do you want to really hear? Or are you at a distance? Are you casual? And then after the story, where do you fall? Isaiah tells us, seeing they may not see and hearing they may not understand, the responsibility is on the hearer to hear what Jesus is really saying or to hear what we want to hear. It is not on the sower, thank God. We can't outsmart Jesus. He He doesn't answer to us. He doesn't need a large crowd to follow him. In fact, he's filtering out those who are serious about a relationship with him and those who aren't. Right? We don't need a church full of distant onlookers. We don't need that. All we need is a few people who are totally sold out for Jesus, who are going to follow him wholeheartedly, obediently, people who are engaged, curious to find out what God's will is for their life, to figure out what God has in store for their life. That's what we need. We don't need huge numbers of people on looking. Because Jesus could have had the largest church in the world. Everywhere he went, huge crowds, right? Many of them distant onlookers, though. But he could have had a humongous church. It wasn't about numbers for Jesus. Every time he had these huge crowds, what did he do? Did he ever embrace a large crowd? He scattered them. This is so contrary to what we want to do as churches. How do we make a bigger church? How do we get more people in here? How do we, how do we build this stuff? Jesus didn't do that. He had this stuff. He goes, you know what? I'm going to tell a story. I'm going to see who really sticks. We're going to go with that. And then we're going to go another place, and we're going to do the same and stick. And we're going to keep people there, and we're going to do that. He doesn't. And it wasn't because Jesus was afraid of commitment. Right? It's not because, oh, all these people, oh, I don't know how to handle them. It's not that way at all. He wants serious people. That's not what the church is about, just to bring in larger numbers. That's not what following Jesus is about. It's about getting engaged with the kingdom of God. Right? Not casually from a distance, but with intention to seek answers we have about God and for God to engage ourselves in a relationship with God. Verses 11 through 15. Now the parable is this. This seed is the word of God. The ones along the path are those who have heard. Then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts, so that they may not believe and be saved. And the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, receive it with joy. But these have no root. They believe for a while, and in time of testing, fall away. And as for what fell among the thorns, there are those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. As for that in the good soil, there are those who, hearing the word of God, or hearing the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. Now, notice 
that the seed and the soils are mentioned in the explanation of the parable. But is the sower? Where's the sower? And the sower is the character that we all get consumed by. We don't focus on the seed. We don't focus on the soil. People like to focus on the sower, but yet in this parable, where's the sower? Right, God, how, how good does a sower have to be? How far does he have to be able to throw that seed, God? Does he have to, what, what kind of, what kind of uh, uh, credentials does the sower have to have? How many years of school does the sower have to go to in order to be able to throw seed? What does the sower have to be like? And we put so much emphasis on the sower. So many people put emphasis on the sower that they're missing the point. The responsibility of the sower is simply to sow. That's it. You know, all the how, what, how, what, when, where, why, who, and all this stuff that we fuss about. Just sow seed. That's it. You don't have to worry about all this other stuff. People put so much emphasis on the sower, on the who. And just last week I had someone come up to me that suggested that I, I just put up a, somebody else to teach the Word of God instead of me. Just to put up any kind of uh, iPod thing or whatever. And why don't you just do that so, so you can focus on other things. I found it kind of insulting. Because in other words, there are much better sowers than you, Pastor Albert. So why don't you leave the sowing to somebody else? Totally missed the point of this parable. It has nothing to do with the sower. Everything to do with the seed and the soils. Verse 11, now the parable is this, the seed is the word of God. The sower is not the emphasis. The seed is the word of God. The seed is the word of God. The seed is the word of God. The emphasis is on the seed, not the sower. The primary issue is the seed. It's not even the soil. And yes, the the guy who told me that deserved a binky. I... I was really tempted to give one to him because I had a baby right next to me, but um, I thought the parents wouldn't have liked that because they bought that. I didn't. And so if you don't know what I mean by the binky thing, just listen to last week's message. The seed is the word of God. The kingdom of God is established by the word of God. Sowers can't stop sowing if other people don't want them to sow anymore. They can't do anything else. A sower has to sow. Right? We can't stop. Right? Do, do we want God to do what He wants or do we want God to do what we want? Right? He who has ears to hear, let him hear. This seed is the word of God. That's, a, that's, that's kind of the summary. The living word of God is the place where we meet Jesus Christ. It's the, pl- it's the place where the kingdom of God comes and you don't forget that the seed is the word of God because once we do, something else takes the place. So there are churches out there that make families their central issue. 
There are churches out there that make social justice their central issue, post-postmodernism their central issue, political activism their social their, their central issue. I'm not saying that any of that is wrong or bad or not important. It's just not the word of God. It's just not the word of God. Those things can be spokes off of the word of God. But the word of God cannot be a spoke off of one of those things. Right? In fact, we are involved in all of those things. Families, social justice, post-postmodernism, uh, political activism. And it's, not, not, it's just not the central thing to regeneration. The word of God is. The word of God is central. Oh, you're just making that up. How is regeneration even involved in political activism? You're just making stuff up. We're hosting Mayor Kwan here, April 30th, for a town hall meeting. Because a couple of our staff were on her steering committee. I mean, council member Pat Kernigan, who's involved in Lake Neighbors, we have an instant communication line with her whenever we need it. I sat on a panel speaking against violence with State Treasurer Bill Lockyer sat on a panel with his wife, Nadia Lockyer, who's Alameda County Board of Supervisors, District 2, received a congressional recognition from Congresswoman Barbara Lee. I'm not doing this to boast myself. I'm just saying we're, in, we're involved. It's not like we're not doing anything. And I think I could even pursue a career in politics in the future. I do. I'm getting all these networks and stuff like this. I'm meeting people and things are great and all this stuff is positive and all this stuff. But you know what? I'm not called to that. I'm called here. I'm called to be a pastor. So if someone said put somebody else up there, uh-uh. I'm called here. I'm called to throw the seed. I'm trying to throw it in your face. And as a pastor, one of my primary functions is to sow seed. Just like the rest of you. We're all sowers. This is not the only place of sowing. The seed is the word of God. And you don't worry about the sower. You don't worry about me, and you don't worry about you. You don't have to worry about each other. Yet this is what many people in the church focus on. If you are a better sower, no. If you are better soil, Because the seed is the same. It's if you were better soil. Can I get an amen? Right, well, well, we'll do what we can and put a lot of effort behind it, but it's not about us. It's not about the sowers. It's, it's about God. It's about the same seed going into the soils. And three out of those four, four soils, they're disappointing, they're discouraging. So as a church, let's remain humble. And yes, we are growing numerically, and let's not get ahead of ourselves, because, because time will tell the type of soil that the seed is falling on. We don't know. We don't know. Time will tell. We'll see by the fruit. But we continue to be diligent about sowing seed, because for some, before they even get out of the pew, the word of God is taken away. Just like in verse 12, the first soil. They're up and they just eat. 
Eat that seed right off your seat. And if anyone thinks that preaching is easy, I want to give you the pulpit for a month so that you can receive the things I receive in mail, in email, in phone, and in person. It's terrible. Seriously. You got to have a thick skin and yet still have a soft heart. That's so hard. Because I'm just getting a thick skin and I'm hardening my heart. I can't believe it. I gotta serve that guy. I gotta throw seed into him. Are you kidding, God? Give me a shovel first. And I get sometimes I get the most discouraging words just minutes after preaching a sermon. Minutes. That instance that was like less than two minutes after. I need to pay closer attention to Jesus. I need to pay closer attention to Jesus. Jesus dealt with this stuff as God. Who am I to think that I'm not going to deal with similar stuff? And when you share the word of God, you are going to be confronted with a lot of stuff. People don't like seed being thrown on them. I think it's... And if you aren't being confronted with a lot of stuff, may I suggest that you're not sharing the word. May I suggest that you are not throwing seed. And that's why you're not feeling any opposition. If you throw the seed, you will get opposition. I guarantee you. And, when, and, and then we have the second soil. Those who get excited about receiving the word of God, but it's on rocky soil, and it falls on them, but it doesn't fall in them. It doesn't get rooted. And there might be this emotional response like, oh, yeah, I got it. Yeah, that was great. I'm going to pray. I'm going to go read my Bible. And you see them at church for a little bit, but then they're not there anymore. Gone. Didn't really hear it. Didn't really get it rooted in them. And then the third soil, they hear it, and they go on their own way. And as they're going on their own way, they, they, they're choked out by the cares and the riches and the pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. The things of life, the things of the, that time just squeezes the spiritual life out of them. They're just getting totally juiced before they're even ripe. And I think for most of us, most of us probably don't fall in one of those first two soils. But I think maybe that there are some who fall in this third soil how many of us have been here choked grabbed by the cares and riches and pleasures of life so much so that our spiritual development is held back strangled choked you don't understand Pastor Albert I love him. I love her. I can't stop fornicating. I mean, that's, 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 how we show, that's how we show love. You're in sin. You're in sin. You don't understand, Pastor Albert. If I, if I don't work that much, and if I don't put in that time, and if I don't spend time away from my family traveling all that time, um, we are not going to be able to have the nice things for our family. 
What good is it if you don't know your family? I can't serve in ministry because I have a lot of stuff on my plate. I have this, I have long hair, and um, I, have a, I have a social life, and all this stuff. You know what, I am so glad that people who minister to me, and people that have ministered to people in this body, were there for us. They didn't have those excuses. They were there for us. They ministered to us. As they go on their way, How many excuses are we going to make? How many excuses are we going to make to not serve fully the kingdom of God? See, the first three, they're discouraging. But this one, this last soil, is encouraging. It's a good soil. It produces fruit. This is the only soil out of the four that we can speak out of with assurance. As for that, in the good soil, they are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. Now by holding fast, it does not mean perfect. It does not mean perfect. It does not mean that, oh, all the sin in my life and all the struggles in my life, they're all gone. It does not mean that. But we are different. We're different than we once were before. We were different. It does mean that the seed, the word of God, has taken hold and there is fruit in our life. And at times the fruit is better than others, but we have fruit. Right? Sometimes it's sour grapes, sometimes it's sweet peaches, but we have fruit. Right? And sometimes we ask for a response here after the message, right? We, we say like, oh, if you, if you felt the Spirit tapping on your heart or your mind and we open up the prayer and you, and you accept the Lord and stuff, and it happens. It happens here. And I can sow the seed. I don't know the type of soil it falls on, though. And there are soils here. I've seen all four of these soils happen here. And just like the ratio... One out of four, it's basically the same. Where one sticks out of four. And there are some people whom I've seen, they, it falls on good soil. It falls on good soil. I'm, I'm so excited. Um, I'm going to be officiating a wedding of someone who years ago accepted Jesus at regeneration. And he's, he's getting married in outside of the United States. And he's so generous because he's paying for my flight. And he's paying for my hotel. And my daughter's going to be the flower girl. And I'm so excited for that. It's stuck. It's growing. I see fruit. Unfortunately, there are so many more whom I've seen it fall on bad soil. So many more. And I don't want to give a false sense of security on a relationship with God. That you, oh, I said that prayer, I'm done. And I'm not also saying, you know, I do believe that once you're saved, you're always saved. I do believe that. The question is whether you were really saved. If you are really saved, then yeah, you're always saved. The question is, is if you're really saved. How do you know you really have a relationship with God? How do you know that? 
How do you know you have a relationship with anyone? It's the same thing. You communicate. You communicate. So how's your prayer life? How are you communicating with God? How's your studying of the Word of God? Because the seed is the Word of God. How is He communicating to you? How is worship like, where that's dynamic and interactive? How's that communication like? And it's not that it's perfect, but you hold it fast in an honest and good heart. You know you hold fast in honesty, in goodness, and you bear fruit. Sometimes it takes time because sometimes some of us have a lot of junk to go through. We have a lot of healing to do. We have some mourning to do. We have some grieving to do. We have some healthy upbringing and some maturity and development. So it takes time, patience, but the fruit will come. You are going to be different than you were before. So you keep going. You don't give up. You persevere. Don't give up. Otherwise, you're going to be choked. You're going to be the third soil. Just keep going. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much for your word. So blessed by it. So blessed by your seed. And I pray, Lord, that we don't focus on sowers. Because all the glory is to be given to you. The provider of the seed. The creator of the seed. Not the creation. The sower is the creation. And Lord, may we love people. Not judge them if they fall in those other soils. But let us be diligent in spreading that seed. And the other work is up to you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.